Join us this Saturday for an all-new episode of The Athletic NBA Show. Saturday Slam and Jam, hosted by me, Andrew Schlecht. I'll be joined by my co-hosts Alex Spears and many of the athletic beat writers that you know and love. We will recap the week of the NBA, play some NBA trivia, and just overall talk about the league that we love most. So while you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee on Saturday morning, listen to Saturday Slam and Jam on the Athletic NBA Show. All right, three, two, one. All right, we are rolling. How about we can just watch basketball? How about we can just watch basketball? Lucky that one turned over. Anthony Edwards, that time he does finish. With the exclamation point. Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Monday morning. We have a lot to catch you up on. From this weekend in the NBA, we had a really thrilling Sunday at the top of the Eastern Conference. So let's get into it. I'm Jared Weiss. I am joined as always on Monday mornings by the one and only Mo Dekeel. What's going on, Mo? Not a whole lot, man. Just a lot of hoops. All right, we got a lot to get into here. We got Jade Hoy on the boards for us as always. And before we get into it, coming up on today's show, we had dunks. We had comebacks, we had collapses, we had ejections. And the first thing that we're going to get into is the biggest collapse of them all. The Pelicans beat the Celtics 120 to 115 in overtime in the Sunday afternoon ABC game. And that's surprising because the Celtics were up 24 points halfway through the third quarter and the Pelicans ended up pulling off their biggest comeback in franchise history in the regular season. Mo, why did that happen? Well, you know, you got to give a ton of credit to the Pelicans because they just really picked up their defensive intensity. And I think it started with Josh Hart, Jared. When he came in the game, he just brought a ton of juice with him, just just a ball of energy and was just rolling. And defensively, they were doing a great job trapping and hedging out of the pick and rolls. And behind that, they were doing an even better job rotating. So, like, even when the Celtics would get out of the trap – they would rotate and take those shots away. Every shot for the Celtics, it felt like, you know, and it, it, apart from a few here and there, just felt like a tough shot, whether it went in or not. In the fi- you know, the last six minutes of the third quarter, all the way to the end of this game, it just felt like everything was tough for the Celtics. They didn't get any real easy looks. Yeah, I know if uh, Dave Dufour was hosting this episode, he'd be making Danny Green comparisons on Josh Hart there. But that was some real vintage Danny Green stuff from him. And, <laughs> and he was getting to the line, too. He ended up with 10 boards. He ended up 5 for 7. Uh, it was 17 points. And it was a plus 18, which I think was by far the highest in this game. I know a tie with Nico Melli, who somehow had a plus 18, even though he shot 1 for 7. Uh, but he hit the one that counted, right? That was That's all that mattered. Well, he was, but he was, but it, it, what's crazy is Melli was huge in the pick-and-roll defenses well like he was doing a great job hedging and trapping like the the Celtics were trying to pick on him defensively and he was just like nope I'm game tonight and it was it was really impressive yeah and that was the big story was in the second half at least offensively the big story was the Pelicans started really blitzing just over everything on Jason Tatum trying to force the ball out of his hands he admitted after the game that he felt like he didn't do a good enough job getting the ball out of his hands quickly enough but while at first the Celtics were able to kind of capitalize on some high-low action because they were playing double big most of this game. Eventually, it just led to too many turnovers, too many scoreless possessions. 
possessions and the Pelicans just started kind of running down their throats. And before they knew it, it wasn't like they came back and they just completed the comeback at the buzzer. I mean, they, the Pelicans took the lead with four minutes left in the game. Like they, they made this 24 point comeback pretty tidy. Yeah, no, it was, first off, it was a really fun game to watch. I mean, it was one of those things where it's like, this is just fun basketball down the way, you know, the, the play uh, Zion makes, you know, at the end of regulation to tie it. And then, you know, uh, excuse me, to take the lead. And then Jason Tatum with the floater to tie it. Like it was just fun basketball all across the board. And, you know, it really, honestly, I can't say enough about the Pelicans because I was impressed. I didn't think they had this in them. We just saw them get blown out by the uh, Suns a few nights ago in the fourth quarter, you know, and, and, and I just didn't think the Pelicans were going to be able to fight back and get their way back into this game. Just impressive on all counts for them. And I mean, we're, we're kind of burying the lead here because while Brandon Ingram had a very good game, uh, it really a terrific game. He had 33 points on 11 for 22 shooting, uh, pretty, you know, pretty much a perfect game. Uh, but the story of this game was Zion Williamson, who the Celtics had a really good game plan of starting with Tristan Thompson on him and then Daniel Tice rotating underneath. And that worked really well in the first half. He went, I think, what, one for five in the first half. And then in the second half, he went absolutely insane. And he, he ended up finishing uh, with 28 points in this game. He got to the line 10 times, uh, 10 boards on top of that. But there were just so many plays where he just rose above and dominated. I think the, the most notable one was when he backed down Tristan Thompson and just completely bulldozed through him and made Tristan Thompson, who's like one of the toughest guys on the block in the entire NBA, look like a guard. It was just unbelievable to see the real explosion of Zion Williamson on full display. Yeah, no, that that was the one, right, where they took the lead, and he just – honestly, there was nothing Thompson could do because I thought he did a good job defensively, and Zion just stood on bigger – it, it was almost Thanos-like, you know? <laughs> it was – he just kind of came in, snapped his finger, and I'm like, I'm going to run through you. And that's basically what it was, but it's not even just that. You know, he makes that big play, the kick-out three to Brandon Ingram to – to really kind of break open the game for them in overtime, you know, that's a huge play for them. It was just Zion doing a lot, you know, as a ball handler for the Pelicans that really sort of opened things up for them. And you're right. The Celtics did a great job to start the game on him, but you know, eventually he just found his way to, to bowl through everybody. So you're more of a Marvel guy and more of a Pokemon guy. So I tweeted during the game that he's like Blastoise with handles. And uh, of course, you're a Pokemon guy. <laughs> hey, I got to catch them all. OK, although you're not going to catch Zion because oh, he is oh. he is completely uncontainable. Um, and this this is one of his, I think, most impressive games of a of a very impressive year so far. I mean, the guy the guy's already a superstar and he's still barely even scratching the sur- I mean, it's funny watching this game. I'm like, he still isn't really playmaking off the bounce much yet. He still isn't that versatile defender that he had the potential to be when he was younger. He still doesn't even really know how to score from the outside. And it doesn't even matter because he just keeps exploding through triple teams and finishing or really dominating the glass. And a big thing in this game was those five offensive rebounds where, you know, he was cleaning up so much stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a tough cover. I mean, plan, and he's going to be a tough cover for everybody every night. It looked for a while like the Celtics had a good plan. Sometimes it felt like they were over helping too much. You know, there were plays where like, you know, Robert Williams would go in too much or even on that play where Zion kicks it out to Ingram, you know, Jalen Brown is is jumping to 
uh, is leaving Ingram to go help on, on on this Zion drive, but it looks like Tice is right there and in in position to at least you know defend it and and you know him going in to help open that door open. It was just it felt like everybody on the Celtics was just kind of almost too happy to help on Zion, and by doing that, it opened the door for him to make other passes out. Absolutely. But so on the flip side, offensively for the Celtics, this was another really just disastrous collapse in the second half. They've had this they're like one of the worst fourth quarter offensive teams in the NBA this year. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse. I mean, what, what are you seeing that's happening for them out there? Do you think there's a solution for them in the near future? It's hard because, you know, the thing for the, Celtics is you know they don't get a ton of easy looks you know there 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 are a lot of stuff that they got to kind of create on their own it's it's been challenging you know Kemba Walker isn't fully there yet I think he went one for 12 from three tonight so you know he's been struggling and you know this is they're missing Marcus Smart to a degree I just feel like they're not um finding ways for easy baskets and I don't think they're getting the a lot of creativity out of their playbook from Brad Stevens. I think he's got to kind of start changing some things up here a little bit and start going to a few more things in the bag to kind of open up the offense a bit more. Yeah. I'll have some more coverage on that over on the athletics. So be sure to sign up the athletic.com slash daily thing. Uh, another important note is uh, Marcus smart is going to be out until at least after the all-star break, according to Woj, uh, something that we've been kind of hearing, but nobody was really uh, stating it confirmed, but he uh, he put that out there before the game. So uh, it's going to be a long, long uh, stumble into the all-star break for this team. Uh, one last thing, you know what, actually, screw it. Let's save that for later. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's head over to Staples, where the Nets took down the Clippers 112 to 108. Now, this almost turned into the same thing as the Boston loss, where uh, they were up 15 early in the fourth quarter after a James Harden three. And then they were tied with just 30 seconds left. What the hell happened in this one, Bo? I think, you know, the the Nets kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. I think the Clippers began finding a footing offensively and, and then they were just able to get some stops and, and and force a couple of misses from the Nets and, and take advantage of it as they were going forward. And, you know, then the, the, the last 30 seconds, it just got tough. I mean, it came down to literally the Clippers not being able to come up with an offensive, uh, come up with a defensive rebound. You know, they, they get, Kyrie to to jack up a step back 25 footer and you know there it looks like you're going to be able to get the stop right off that and DeAndre Jordan taps it in for the game winner and by the way yikes on that Kyrie shot because he was taking so many and hitting so many great shots up until that point uh it was kind of really carrying the offense at the end and then just for some reason settled that one uh but one of the weird things of this game was Paul George was having a really good fourth quarter and then he came out with three minutes left and it wasn't really apparent why. Well, I think that's just them trying to limit his return from, uh, you think so? Okay. Uh, coming back. I think it was a minutes restriction thing. I don't think it was anything more than that. Everybody's trying to read 
if anybody's trying to read too much into it, they got to stop because I think it was literally just a minutes restriction thing. I think, you know, he only played 25 in their win against the jazz on Friday night. They, uh, he uh, played 33, I think, tonight. Was that yes. the final number? Yeah, 33. You know, and, and so, you know, they, I don't think they, they wanted him to progress more than that. Obviously, everybody's looking at it going like, oh, you got to just let him play those last three minutes. But no, you you know, they have a they have a minutes restriction in place literally to protect them from <laughs> overusing the players. So uh, we don't know what's the science that went into it or, or, or what they're using to kind of decide these things. But I think just at the end of the day, I think their uh, sports management team told them, said, hey, Got to pull the plug, win or lose. It's a regular season game, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Exactly. It's you know, he's you got to keep him healthy, and you'll win plenty of games in the future if that's the case. And you know what? Even with the minutes restriction, he was probably the best player in this game for them. He had 34 points on 12 for 19 shooting and seven dimes, although he did have six turnovers. But then at the end, it was Kawhi who just went completely crazy at the end there uh really dominating on the glass was attacking really well it was get you know it was really doing everything he needed to do but then we get to the final play and he drives they run a perfect play to get him downhill on james harden he's really blowing through james harden and goes up to for what was i guess like a layup but he technically dunked it basically and harden flops off of him and you're thinking oh well this is going to be a no cause it's a harden flop and they call an offensive foul. And sure enough, when you watch the replay, he did just barely stick out his arm, which, you know, based on the points of emphasis this year, that is technically an offensive foul. So a really kind of shocking way for this game to end. Yeah, I mean, if we're if we're going to call that, they got to call the forearm before that from James Harden, sure. who's on top, who's, who's riding him. You know, I think honestly, it should have been a no call. On, on both sides, it shouldn't have been a, a, a foul on Harden or a, a offensive foul on um, Kawhi. I think, you know, Harden did a great job of acting. He's in LA. So apparently he thought he was up for an Academy <laughs> Award. So he, he went flying five feet, which was a, a, a little bit ridiculous. So I think, you know, it, just a bad play in that situation, a bad call from the refs. I get why Harden did it. I'm not mad at Harden for doing it. But also this kind of goes back to, you know, Ty Lu used his challenge on a offensive foul when Pat Beverly was setting a screen for Jeff Green. And I, I mean, in real time, I thought that was an offensive foul. I thought that was a bad challenge called to begin with. You kind of, you wonder if he kind of wishes he could have uh, still had his challenge back to, to, you know, hit the siren on this one. Sure. And, I, and of course we had the craziest ending of all, which was uh, after the miss at the end there for the Nets and looked like it was probably going to go to overtime and the Clippers would have one last chance. DeAndre Jordan just sticks a hand out, catching a long rebound and just smacks it back off the glass and it goes in. And it was just fascinating that DeAndre Jordan ended up playing like the last, I think, what, 15 minutes basically of this game and ended up closing for them. And, you know, usually Jeff Green's the one closing, but Jeff Green, he took a really tough shot to the ribs. Uh, it seemed to re-aggravate an injury for him and ended up after being down in pain for a while, leaving the game. And he also managed to kick the uh, Gatorade cart 20 feet after uh, on his way out. But, you know, a huge, a huge victory for DeAndre Jordan, someone who obviously they're paying to be their closing center. And uh, it was great to see him actually be a real important factor in closing out this game. Yeah, I mean, a big night for him, 13 and 11. And really just for the Nets, I mean, they swept their entire West Coast trip, beating the Suns, beating uh, the Lakers and and the the Clippers in this whole run, you know, and, and this is all without Kevin Durant and, and no Kyrie Irving in their win against the Suns. Like this was a good run for the Nets. Like they're on a nice little roll here. This is a big win. 
Let's go around to some of the more exciting moments and important moments from the rest of the weekend. We had, first off, the dunk heard around the world, Anthony Edwards with the just ultimate posterization on Yuta Watanabe, which looks really similar to what I think is the best game dunk of all time, which is Vince Carter posterizing my non-cousin Frederick Weiss in the Olympics. I mean, are you sure you're not cousins? Are you sure? Have we done the, have we done the uh, 23 and me test? Are we sure? You know what we, thankfully he spells his name with one S and I do with two S's. So I didn't have to do the, uh, test. Oh, just because somebody in your family had a typo years ago doesn't mean <laughs> I, I still think you need to do the test. <laughs> but so regardless of my family's uh, very painful history, I mean, that Anthony Edwards dunk, where, where would you, I guess, put that in, you know, recent history of some of the great epic posterizations? I mean, it was one of the best dunks of the year. I don't know if I'm going to go beyond that. I'm not sure if I'm going to remember it beyond this year, but you know, I mean, it was just pretty impressive. He drives baseline and just rises up on Watanabe. And and the thing is, the, the, the funniest thing is Aaron Baines, of all the guys, kind of sees it happening. And when he makes a business decision, that says a lot. Because Baines <laughs> is like the – he's on more posters than, than I think uh, tax are holding posters up. I don't know. I, I botched that <laughs> sort of phrase. I could have come up with for that one. But the fact of the matter is, if Baines is making a business decision, that says a lot when <laughs> Edwards is coming down. And this is, he had another big dunk against the Warriors a few weeks ago. So, not surprised to see him getting, catching another body. I'm saying he's on posters more than uh, masking tape and walls. Nah, there's no good way to pull it off. Yeah, no, there was, we, 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 we failed. We failed. Sorry. Sorry to our listeners. We failed you. We couldn't come up with a good one. Sorry. Right, Jade, edit this out, but don't actually edit this out. Chance to win it right here. Rogier. Gonna have to put something up! Yeah! Yes! Terry Rozier! Let's go to the rest of the stuff that happened this weekend. And uh, before we talk about some ejections, let's first talk about what happened after an ejection. So late in the Warriors-Hornets game, it seemed like the Warriors were in control and the game was about to be theirs. And then suddenly, Draymond Green gets ejected from the game. I'll tell you, Draymond Green better be careful. Yeah. I'll, he better be careful. The Hornets got the timeout, and Draymond Green almost got a technical. Uh-oh. Did he? Yeah, he did! It. And it's gone! That means he's got two! Oh, my goodness! Terry Rozier hits a pair of free throws, and then Terry Rozier gets the ball back and hits an insane fadeaway jumper to win the game. Uh, it, it's been, like, a real just unbelievable run for Terry Rozier as of late. Wild. It was a wild game. I mean, even the play before that, Jared, you know, the LaMelo ball tying up Brad Wanamaker for the jump ball to, to eventually get the situation where Draymond thinks he has another jump ball with Gordon Hayward, except the Charlotte Hornets called the timeout and, and Draymond goes ballistic. Loose and a rebound Wanamaker. Hornets had to foul. And now the Hornets have a chance to win the game instead of looking to try to tie it. And I mean, that was just a phenomenal play from Rozier. Did you see Kerr's initial reaction? It looked like he wanted to punt the ball for a second. <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing is, like, they gave Hayward the timeout while he was falling to the ground. And, like, you shouldn't be able to get a timeout call if you're falling to the ground with possession. You have to be, like, making a, a football move, as they say in the NFL. You know, it's like, I, I didn't think that was fair game. And, you know, Dr I thought Drayvon was justified in being incredulous, but probably not to the point that he gets himself ejected from the game. 
you can't you can't pick up a technical in that situation. I'm sorry. Like I get it, and you, you you're furious, and and we all know Draymond who wears his heart on a sleeve and 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 is all emotion at times. But you have to control it in this situation because here's the fact of the matter: it was a two point game. The Warriors were up two in that at that moment, and you know if even if they give the ball to the Hornets, even if they let them you know, draw up a play and, and things like that. You're in a position to still win this game by coming up with a defensive stop. He loses his cool. The The Hornets get two free throws out of it. And now it's a tied game. And it's a whole different scenario now that the Hornets are going to get to go in. And for them, they're just saying, hey, we're going to take the very last shot. And if it goes in, great. If not, overtime. And now, I mean, that hurt the Warriors in that end. Okay, but we got to get to the craziest ejection of this of the weekend, and that was in this Pelicans game where I don't know if craziest is the right word. Really, okay. dumbest. There, oh, dumbest. Sure, there we go. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't as crazy as the drama one, but JJ Redick, uh, he he draws a foul, which is like a pretty obvious foul call, and apparently like cursed and said something uh, and was upset in his reaction initially, but he keeps walking kind of past a bunch of players and then whips the ball back with one of those kind of like low English passes to the ref that made the original call while the ref is holding up his hands, kind of giving the hand signals back to the uh, scorer's table. And the ref like wasn't ready for it. So it was kind of startled and the ball was like whipped in fairly hard, but it wasn't like, a, you know, it wasn't like aggressively hard. It was just like, a, you know, it was a hard little whip pass and he got ejected for it. JJ Redick has just been tossed. Josh Tibbon has seen enough. It looked like Reddick tried to throw the ball to him, or at least threw the ball in Tibbon's direction. And Tibbon teed him up. And his night's over. Might have said something. I, I would assume he said something. Didn't put up much of an argument on the way out. I think Josh interpreted that maybe as showing him up a little bit. And the, and the ref stood by it after the game, saying that he aggressively threw the ball at the official. And I, I think there's not a person in the world that didn't seem to think that that wasn't ridiculous. Oh, it was just flat out. No. That's, I mean, that's all there is to say. It, it was a stupid, stupid technical. I hope the league rescinds it. Um, and 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 make sure not to find JJ for that one because you know we've seen players do a lot worse and not get teed up and for that for that to be a, a technical like come on man like that that was just stupid yeah and like this is you know part of this is about the league kind of really stepping up every single year really it's respect for the game rules and about what you're allowed to do to especially an official but also a referee as far as expressing your anger and we saw it really get kind of pushed to its limit when marvin bagley got called and he did like a quick little spin where he was upset and then he just walked away but he wasn't like walking away like screaming and huffing and puffing you just kind of walked it off and he got hit with a tech for that and i just it's like you're not even allowed to have a reaction in the heat of a moment now and it's it's really ridiculous but the Reddick one, it was like he was kind of nodding. He threw the ball back and the tech happened. He talks to the other ref right next to him being like, I was just passing him the ball. You could like see him saying, I just passed him the ball. And the ref kind of like, I don't know what the ref said, but he's like, whatever, I'm out of here. 
Okay, well, it's pretty rare that you get to hear someone have a real first reaction to something, but just now, we have some breaking news here on the pod. Uh, Ryan Saunders has been fired by the Minnesota Timberwolves, and according to our Shams Charania, Chris Finch, assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors, has uh, completed the fastest interview process in NBA history, apparently, and is now going to be hired as the permanent, not interim, but permanent head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, Mo, how do you think this bodes for Minnesota getting, you know, kind of bringing in Finch, who I think is one of the most renowned people that hasn't gotten a head coaching job yet? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, well, it just shows you that this was probably in the works for a little bit. And no surprise, you know, Ryan Saunders just, hasn't really been getting it done for the wolves you know the over the past two seasons so you know even with all the the problems they've had as an organization just didn't work out uh garrison rosas you know t- uh president of the uh minnesota timberwolves excuse me i stumbled while saying that uh has a relationship with finch they work together in houston so you know he knows him has a good understanding finch is known as an offensive genius and and really was credited for some of the stuff that the new Orleans Pelicans were doing a few years ago. And, and, and I think this is uh it'll be interesting to see what he makes of it, but man, Jared hiring a coach, a new coach mid season, like that's pretty rare. And so it's going to be a, an interesting challenge for Finch walking in. I mean, we were just in our first take of this before we got the Finch news, we were talking about how they always hire an interim. They never have a permanent coach to replace somebody when they make a midseason firing. But of course, this was the rare exception, because whenever you say something, the opposite will come true, of course. Yeah, I don't think, you know, it's very rare we've ever had somebody come in, somebody fresh come in to coach a team. I don't, I, I can't remember the last time that happened. Everybody's always like, oh, they're going to go with an interim coach. Don't they always go with an interim coach? Pretty much. I mean, every once in a blue moon. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it, just surprising, but you know, Hey, you know, the other thing too is Chris Finch has been in the league a long time. He finally gets his shot to be a head coach. So, you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shame for Saunders, but I've, I've been waiting to see, Finch get this opportunity for a while because he's just such a renowned offensive coach and to see him take over a team with a lot of incredibly tantalizing pieces he has he has a lot of talent to work with and they don't want to win too much here because you know they are trying to tank for Kate Cunningham or whoever ends up being the top guy whether it's Suggs or uh, Kaminga I guess by the time they get there but pretty sure they're going to be drafting Kate Cunningham to get the number one pick you you know, you had one of those top guys of this team to pair them with Cat Anthony Edwards D'Lo Malik Beasley the way that he's been scoring this year I mean this team can have one of the most exciting youth packages in the entire league pretty soon and they have somebody that could actually put it all together. Yeah, I don't think, you know, it's very rare we've ever had somebody come in, somebody fresh come in to coach a team. I don't, I, I can't remember the last time that happened. Everybody's always like, oh, they're going to go with an interim coach. Don't they always go with an interim coach? Last game we're going over here is another game in the Atlantic Division. The Atlantic Division really held Sunday down, and that was the Toronto Raptors beating the Philadelphia 76ers, 110-103. to 103. They do it without Kyle Lowry against a Sixers team that had all their guys, right? And for some reason, I mean, Norm Powell had a good game. OG Ananobi had a nice game. But the star of the show was Chris Boucher going off 
burying three-pointers over and over and over again as Toronto made a great comeback from what was initially a 13-point deficit in the middle of the third quarter, and they ended up having a 10-point lead basically before this one was up. Yeah, really interesting because Toronto starts the game small, and against Joel Embiid, you're thinking like, oh, he's going to dominate. And and the Sixers went out to start the game really well, and eventually – you know, the Raptors went back and brought in Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher. But the the real shocking thing, though, Jared, was it felt like the the Sixers could not make a bucket in the fourth quarter. I think they want a stretch of five or six minutes without a made field goal. They made some free throws along the way, but without a made field goal during that stretch in the fourth quarter. And that's when the Raptors were able to blow that game open. So Shake Milton hit a three at the 1034 mark. And then the next field goal after that was, I believe, Tobias Harris's finger roll with a minute left, if I'm not mistaken. You're not winning a game. You go that long without a made field goal. I mean, I don't care how many free throws you shoot in between there. <laughs> you're, you're not winning that. I mean, game. there was only like three free throws. It was Simmons hit one and then Joel hit a couple and Dwight Howard hit one. I mean, it was like I mean, their you, offense you, just you, died. But- yeah, you just you just not they, they couldn't make a shot. I don't know if they somehow the Raptors found a way to put a lid on the rim or or, or whatnot, but they just couldn't make a shot, and that's that's a that's a bad loss for the Sixers. I mean, credit to Aaron Baines because he came in when Joel came back in on the fourth, and Joel just kept getting miss after miss. Uh, there was a block at the rim. He missed a few mid rangers. Uh, he tried even a floater that didn't go in. I mean, Joel just couldn't really find his rhythm there as they kept trying to really force feed him to get him to kind of climb them back out of this. And then the the uh, the Raptors were just doing such a great job of you know kind of running off of that and and converting. And they're able to just kind of push that lead out more and more. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just, you know, Aaron Baines is the Embiid stopper, apparently. Like, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, they they were rolling. And then the Sixers just had no answer for Boucher as a stretch big that was able to kind of really put them in a tough spot with their defensive coverages. And he just knocked down. I mean, five or six from three, you know, for him, is it's a big night for them. Yeah. And I mean, this was, it's funny because they started small. They started with Siakam at the five and, and it'll be at the four. And then they ended up basically going double big for the rest of the game with, uh, with Baines out there with Boucher. Um, and then they ended up closing with Siakam at the three and Baines and Boucher both out there up until with like, you know, two minutes left, basically. So it was really interesting to see how this team tends to ebb and flow between like really small lineups and really big lineups. But at the end of the day, Siakam had a fantastic game. I mean, he missed a couple of the shots in the middle of the fourth quarter, but otherwise he was kind of controlling it for uh, Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible game from Pascal. They also got a big game for Fred Van Vliet going 5-10 from 3. I mean, he's just on fire as well. I mean, it, Toronto is rolling, and, and they're beginning to find a good rhythm, Jared. I mean, they've, they've been starting this small lineup here for a little bit. They got big wins against the Bucks. Like, they're they're beginning to find their groove here a bit. Well, you know what? We, we knew they weren't going to stay down for long, even when they were sitting at kind of the bottom of these standings. Now they are in front of the Celtics. They're in fifth place. They're 16 and 15. The Celtics are 15 and 15. So even though 
Uh, they're tied with the actually they're tied with the Pacers in uh, so they're basically in fourth place really, uh, but the Pacers have played a couple games less so they're ahead of them just in the loss column. So the Raptors went from kind of a mess and are they going to put it together to now they're four games back at the Philadelphia 76ers and uh, they're for real once again. So that's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about all of our other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show. We have No Dunks. We have House of Strauss and over a dozen team-specific shows. If you're not a member of the Athletic, you're in luck because you can get all of our podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing, if I do say so myself, across all the major sports, all for a super low price. So get your sub today at theathletic.com slash daily dig.